morning, Faith Community Church. I am excited today because I like to call today's sermon a roller coaster of a sermon because we are going through two chapters. We're going to go real quick. We're going to touch on a lot of material, and at the very end, I'm going to get wet. So um, we have uh, some students that are getting baptized today, and so, you know, praise God for that. Um, so we are in Titus, so go ahead and turn with me to the book of Titus. Uh, we are going through chapters 2 and 3. For those of you who weren't here for part 1, let me just go over um, just a brief overview of kind of what we've talked about. So Titus is a young pastor who has been called to uh, the island of Crete. Crete is roughly the size of Whatcom County, a little bit bigger. So pretty big place. And he was um, sent there by Paul to do a few things. Um, he was sent there to uh, set things right, and he was sent there to appoint elders to the church. So Crete is right there in the center of the Mediterranean Sea. Here's a picture of modern-day Crete. It's actually really beautiful, but it's also very isolated. It's an island that um, sometimes ships would take in their route to uh, head to Rome, and uh, Crete had a reputation for having a bad reputation. They were called uh, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, um, so it wasn't a place you'd necessarily want to go and raise your family. But Titus was sent there to uh, minister to the church that was there and to set things in order and appoint elders. And we looked at that set things in order. That is the word epidiortho, remember? Yeah, you're, yeah I totally remember that, remember that word. Um, epidiortho, the ortho word, to uh, like set things right, which is like orthopedic surgeon and orthodontist, right? And then we talked about the 16 qualifications for elders and how God has called each and every one of us to, uh, to holiness, even though these are uh, characteristics for our elders. Um, and lastly, we talked about how even we as professing Christians, we proclaim Christ, but sometimes with our actions, with our words, and with our deeds, we deny him. Okay, that was like the start. We, are you guys ready? We're going through chapters two and three now. All right, so uh, we are going to dive right in, and before we do that, um, let's just take a moment to pray. God, it is just uh, amazing to be here in your presence. It's amazing to be gathered in a, in a place where we are freely able to worship and praise you. I don't want to take that for granted. Um, this morning, as I think of my, uh, my brothers and sisters in other places in the world, Lord, I, I just thank you that, um, Lord, there are faithful believers all over the world. And so, God, as we just jump into the book of Titus, chapters 2 and 3, um, I just pray that you would help us to, um, to uh, glean what you have for us this morning, Lord, that your spirit would just uh, speak to us um, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are going to be looking in chapters 2 at qualities of a healthy church, and it starts out with the first one, jumps right in. Verse 1 says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. The first thing, a quality of a healthy church we need to have God's word taught and preached from the pulpit. Uh, when I get up here, my aim is not to tell you my thoughts or my stories or my really anything, but rather to come here and teach and preach what is it that God's word has for us. And so any church, if it is to be thriving, like in chapter one, we have to have healthy leadership, but we also have to have God's word that is taught and preached from the pulpit. Chapter two, I mean, excuse me, point two is that a healthy church must also have believers who are seeking out godly relationships with other people. Look at verse 2. It says, 
that older men be sober, reverent, temperate, and sound in faith, in love, and in patience. So, we're going to talk about older men, older women, younger women, and younger men today. And um, I want to I address a question that maybe those of you who are in that older stage of life have maybe asked. Well, now that I'm here, now that I have arrived, uh, what am I to do? What is my purpose? What is my calling? Uh, what's my ministry? Um, what do you do with the life you have lived? Um, well, well, Titus chapter 2 is very clear that the life you have lived is a gift. And uh, with that gift, um, you are to teach others good. You're to teach them the things that God has taught you along the way. So we look at older men here as the first people that we're going to talk with. So everyone's going to uh, get covered here, except for children aren't mentioned here, but children obey your parents. So that's... <laughs> That's a, yeah, amen, I saw that right there. <laughs> Let's start with the older men. Older men, be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love and impatient. Uh, the idea of sober is to be self-controlled, to be reverent, to be uh, men who are worthy of that respect, worthy of that honor. Temperate is to be sensible, and then we see sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience. That word sound, it literally means to be healthy. To be healthy in our faith with God, to be healthy in love, our relationships here, our relationship here, and healthy in patience. And, uh, you know, when you think of uh, the typical stigma of the old man, you think of grumpy old men, right? Um, some of you, when it says sound in patience or healthy in patience, some of you maybe got nudged on the side. Um, gentlemen, when you grow older in age, you have a choice to make. Are you going to take your life and everything, the hand you've been dealt and everything that God has allowed uh, to come into your life to make you bitter? Or will you use that to have a life that you can uh, teach others um, the goodness of God through all these things? That's for older men. Look at verse 3. Older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good Things. Again, we see that word reverent again in the same as we saw with the older men. To be, uh, it is this idea of being set apart, of being different. Um, your role as older men and women should be taken seriously. Because uh, there are young men and women like me and like others here who we do look up to you. We see the life that you have lived. And I got to tell you, one of the greatest gifts that God has given me, and I say this all the time, is to be surrounded by godly men and women here, that are sitting here and that aren't sitting here anymore, um, who have been great examples of what it means to follow Jesus and follow Jesus well in the middle of good times and hard times. Um, so, to be reverent in behavior, not slanders. The Greek word there is diabolos, and uh, it sounds like diabolical. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, what Satan does. It is uh, meaning to attack the character and reputation of another, slandering their reputation and their name. This can be really easy to do out of jealousy because of some, what someone has or something um, out of envy because they have something that maybe we want, whether we'll admit that or not. Or maybe it can be done because someone just dealt you a, a bad hand. Someone did you wrong, and you're going to get back at them. And so we slander their name and their reputation. And man, this makes God's heart sad. It makes me sad. When I see God's people when we do this or when we give like, like those kind of looks to people, um, 
to slander the name of others. Number three, is not given to much wine. The word literally means to be in bondage or a slave to alcohol. So then we get to the very end. What are you to do with the life that you've lived? What are you to do with this? Uh, You are to take someone who's younger and teach them good things because your years are a gift of God. So we've talked about older men, older women. Let's go to younger women. That they admonish young women to love their husbands, to love their children. I find it absolutely fascinating that the very first thing that is uh, told to older women to teach younger women is to love their husbands. Husbands, do you know why? Husbands get like, oh, I don't know. Sometimes you're not lovable. (laughs) And if you're like, that's not me, that's probably you. Um... And, uh, you know, the, the way that we picture love in our culture is, is very um, fairy tale and emotion and everything is always perfect. And absolutely, you should have those feelings of affection and love towards one another. But um, the way that we see love portrayed in Scripture is that, but also quite different. We see love uh, in its greatest form in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Uh, the word love, that's a, that's a verb. It's agapeo, which is like agape, that unconditional love. But it's not just an unconditional love. You do something with it. What did Jesus do? He came down, born in a manger, lived a life he couldn't live, died the death that me and you should have died. It was raised. And guess what? He's coming back again. And praise God for that. That is love. Um, It is an action. And sometimes we are to love our spouse not necessarily based on their worthiness in that moment, but because it's God's will. God's will for for us to love one another. Ladies, it's pretty clear here. Love your husbands. And guys are like, yes. And guys, you don't get off scot-free here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 makes it very clear. Husbands, read it with me. What's it say? Love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. How? By getting them flowers. No, it's much, it goes further than that. Uh, You can't just, you know, fix a a break with a Band-Aid, right? So, We have to love Christ. We have to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And we're going to touch on that a little bit more. And man, that is just such a high calling. But we are to love one another. Next one uh, that we see is to teach uh, young women to love their children. One of the greatest lies that we have been told um, is that, uh, and that young women have been told is that children are a burden instead of a gift from God. It's why there are so many opportunities for women to, um, to get rid of your child if you don't want it. And then when they're out of the womb, it's why sometimes there's this stigma of like, oh yeah, I can't wait till they're 18 and out of the house. And um, I get that there are moments of, of difficulties. Um, let's look at what scripture says in Psalm 127.3. Children are a, what's the word? Say it one more time. Children are a? Some of you are saying that like, because you had one of those mornings. Children are a gift from the Lord. And I know when I say that, and it says they are a reward from him. I know there are some kids in here who are probably missing a sock. Someone has the wrong shoes. Some of you left your homes, and it is just a hot mess. Um, Being a parent is hard. Being a mom is hard. I'm not a mom. But I have a wife, and I see all the things she does, and um, children are wonderful. 
I hope my kids never see this. Um, you know, and we can laugh and we can chuckle because we understand the struggles of what it means and the calling that God has given us to, to raise children. But never forget, they are a gift from the Lord. And here's the thing, they're a reward from him. You think a reward is like something you get for doing something good. It's like a prize, right? Some of you are like, wow, I wish I would have been rewarded with like a sports car. But, but you got Johnny. So... Um, but children are a, a gift, and they, are a, um, and they are a reward from the Lord. So older women, teach younger women to love your children. We go on here in verse 7. Be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Um, to be discreet is to have self-control over some of your passions and desires. Chaste is talking about purity Homemakers, some of your versions might translate that as keepers of uh, your home, managers. Um, but it's this sense and this idea to be diligent about the care of your household. And unfortunately, in our culture, and maybe not necessarily within these walls, but there is a negative stigma on homemakers and stay-at-home moms. And I'm going to tell you something you probably already know. Maybe some of you need to hear this. It's okay to be a homemaker. It's okay to be a stay-at-home mom. In fact, God tells us that this is a must. It's a gift that God has given you, whether you're working or whether you're not, um, to be keeper of the home, to be manager of the home, uh, is, is, uh, is a gift from the Lord in the same way that God has given me as a husband the role of provider of the home and that ultimately responsibility it falls on me. It doesn't mean that we don't share responsibilities just because my wife is called to be the homemaker. It doesn't mean I just open the door, take off my shoes, put up my chair and say, dinner. Um, that is how you don't get dinner. Um, is she, oh, she is here. Ooh. I'm trying to move past this section as fast as I can. Um, but we understand that there are shared responsibilities. That, you know, ultimately, if we're, our, our foundation is Jesus Christ and we're called to love one another, I love my spouse well. I love her like Christ loved the church. And, um, but it, this is a special gifting that God gives women to do this. The next word we see here is we see good, to have qualities that younger, uh, that other people want to emulate. And the last one is to be obedient to their own husbands. Now, this verse here that we just read is a verse that is oftentimes pulled out of context and uh, shown and used as uh, something to say that the church and scripture and Christianity is sexist and misogynistic. So I want to touch on that for a sec here. Uh, you don't have to turn with me there. It'll be on the screen. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 says this. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as foolish but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. So what do we see in this section? We see that we are to pursue wisdom. We see that we are to walk in it. And we also see that we are to submit to one another. And so that is the foundation, and then immediately after, we get verses 22 to 24, which talk about wives submitting to your husbands, and it is a picture of husbands being called to lead, just as Jesus is leading, and we, as God's people, follow him. And then we see the flip side of that coin. 
in verses 25 to 33, we see husbands, they're called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And what does that look like? It is a sacrificial love. It is a selfless love. It's giving everything for her, just as Christ did for us. And then ultimately, in verse 33, we have it summarized for everyone. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself. Whoa. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Men, if you are someone who loves your wife well, then that respect will come. And women, when you show honor and respect to your husband, then the product of that will be the love that you desire and need. And just like a dance, we see it start. There is someone who leads and there is someone who follows. Ultimately, it is a beautiful thing. Um, And when we follow God's formula for a successful marriage, things flourish. And that is a prescription for a godly marriage. Um, Certainly, we can do what we think is right, what we think is wise in our own eyes. But I got to tell you, people have done that for thousands of years, and um, and the result is not um, it's not great. But God leaves us a very clear formula here. So we talked about older men, older women, younger women. Now let's get to the younger men who, incidentally, have four verses allotted to them, versus everyone else who just has like one or two. So that might tell you something. Younger men, first verse, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. That literally means to be sensible, to be reasonable. And all the moms are like, yeah, did you hear that? Uh, Yeah, sometimes um, we we need to be uh, reminded by older men and older women that we need to be sensible and reasonable. Verses 7, in all things showing yourself in a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. Um, a pattern of good works. Uh, this is a, a man who is a, he's a moral man. Um, doctrinal integrity, having healthy beliefs, knowing what you believe, why you believe it. Reverent, again, we see that in this whole section. as being a young man who is worthy of that honor and that respect. Incorruptibility speaks to being firm in our foundation of Jesus Christ, firm in our faith. Verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned, and that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say about you. The way that we speak says so much about us. Jesus says, from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so guys and gals, I want to challenge you, be careful with what you say. Um, so, I said this was a roller coaster ride. We're going real quick, right? Let's just let's take a breather, take a step back. And I want to challenge you all. Um, in the middle of this, we've talked about older men, older women, younger women, younger men. Um, God has placed us in this unique uh, setting where we have godly men and women that surround us, people that have been there and done that. Um, so my challenge for you is that for all of us, if we are to have a healthy church, we must be believers who seek out these godly relationships. For those of you who are older, there are young men and young women here who would be so blessed by having you walk alongside them. Some of you young men and young women, you need godly counsel in your life. 
I got to tell you, the best gifts that I've gotten uh, of wisdom have been from older people that have been there and done that. Some of my closest mentors are 75, 80 years old. And so they've lived like, like eight of my lives, right? So, you know, no one got that joke? Yes, okay. It's okay, guys. For those of you who are older and mature in your walk with Christ, um, be those men and women who can minister to young men and women. Um, we're going to baptize three young guys here that are um, 14 and 16 year old. Um, you know what's really cool? Um, they're doing the work of older men, believe it or not. Even though they're 14 and 16, they are ministering and discipling younger uh, Christians and non-believers. Um, and it's such a cool relationship. And we get to pour into them as leaders. And we're doing that work in them. And then we have people pouring into us. And it's just this beautiful uh, structure that God has laid out for the church. So, church, I want to challenge you to seek out those relationships. Be a mentor. Be teachable. Be humble. Um, is it work? Absolutely. Uh, is it taxing? Sometimes. Uh, but it is such a blessing for you to be able to be poured into and to pour into someone. Okay. I've got like eight more pages, so hope you're ready. Uh, we are jumping straight into verses uh, 9 and 10 here. Read with me, says, Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their masters and to be well-pleasing in all these things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to dive super deep into this passage, but really its application for all of you is how are you guys functioning in your workplace? Um, are you obedient to your bosses? Ooh, even just putting the words obedient and boss for some of you is like, ugh, right? It's hard. Um, and then number two kind of goes along with it is, uh, is, are you talking back all the time? The third one we talk about, pilfering, uh, that's uh, stealing. Are you stealing from work, whether it is physical or whether it's time or whether it's here? Maybe you're just like checked out and you're just like, I'm just here because I need to cash my paycheck. Um, and so the whole, the whole, and the last thing is faithful. Now, the whole purpose of this letter to Titus was so that the church in Crete could be different than the culture in Crete. So that when the Christian Cretans would go to work and they would have the opportunity to take a little extra and everyone was doing it, and, uh, and then they didn't, they'd be like, well, why aren't you doing that? Well, I'm not, that's not right. Why isn't it right? Well, because God wouldn't like that. And so it's an opportunity for them to be different, for people to see that there was something different about the believers. Um, and then we get to this beautiful section here in verse 11 to 15. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one despise you. Wow. It's by God's grace and God's grace alone that we are here. God calls us to live soberly, 
to live righteously, to live godly, to keep our eyes on Christ, um, because guess what? He is coming back again, and, uh, and to do good works through that. So we're jumping into chapter 3 now, and just with some closing thoughts here. Uh, verses 1 and 2 says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. The key word that we read in this section is right there, humility. That we are to act in humility towards others. We are to act in humility towards our government. Again, the letter is written to the church in Crete, called to be different. It was their primary um, entrance and way that they would evangelize to the people there. That we are called to live with humility. And then verse 3, we see, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul reminds the church in Crete that, hey, you guys were once liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. There's a but God coming, but hold on. And so, and so for us, that's true. Those people that we see as foolish, uh, that was us one time. Ephesians is very clear that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins at one time. But God, okay, we're here. All right, but God, I love this. If you have, you know, if you're a Bible scribbler, I, all the but God's in there, you know, put a box and, and an exclamation point and a hallelujah next to that. Um, verse four to seven, we see, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy... He saved us through the washing and the regeneration of and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Then having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I love this passage because it's talking about how we were all once foolish, but God, and through his kindness and through his love. And I know when I say God's, God is kind and God is love, some of you might be like, ooh, but God is also just and holy. And uh, I, absolutely, we have to take God's character in, in all of its context. But please do not forget this, that the God who called you from darkness into light is kind and he is loving. And that's why he called uh, the three young men who we're going to baptize today, he called them out of darkness into light. And we praise God for that because it's not by works that we are saved, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then verse 9, we read, says, But avoid, oh, says, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, uh, being self-condemned. So Paul here, he's referring back to chapter 1, when 
Uh, he was talking about the Judaizers and all the legalism that was slipping into the church, that it is, yeah, it's by faith in Jesus Christ, but it's also by your circumcision, by keeping the Mosaic law, etc. Um, Paul is condemning that and saying, again, reminding the church that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's not by our baptism. It's not by your church attendance, but solely by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. And... Um, then we get to verses 12 and uh, 15, and you guys can read those at your home, but really just a great, a great um, closing to the book. Um, this week, we're going to, uh, in our email, I'm going to have some extra links for Titus if you're interested in, in studying a little bit more, but um, I want to close off with this. As I've been studying Titus and I've been looking at um, everything that Paul called Titus to teach to the church and what Paul called all of us, the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is from Matthew, and it's a summary of the law. And so it's, it reads like this. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Faith Community Church, uh, God is calling us to love, to love well, to love better, to love him well, and to love others well. When we love others well, when we love our neighbors, believing or not, nice to you or not, it tells the world that there is a God who saves. It is a public testimony to others, and it points them back to Jesus. So church, I want to challenge you to love well. First of all, love God well. Some of you are doing awesome, but you can do awesome-er. It's a word. Um, love others well. It's hard sometimes, but we do this through humility and, and through um, working with other people who have been there and done that, these mentor relationships. Um, and most importantly, we do this only through the power of Christ that empowers us to be different than the world. So church, as the church in Crete was called to be different than the culture in Crete, the church here in Linden, Faith Community Church, has been called to be different than the culture. So do it and live it. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for uh, Titus. We thank you for your word that you have left us, Lord. And now as we just transition to uh, just a time of praise and worship and uh, see baptisms, Lord, we just thank you for this uh, tangible expression of what it means to, um, to die to ourselves and be raised in newness of Christ, Lord. And we praise you for the lives of these three young men. Um, and we just uh, bless you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.